front of you and open to the book of James, where you will find our text today in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to share something with you. I had a, a visit um, recently with uh, the regional coordinator for the Baptist Children's Home. So if you've been coming on Wednesday nights and we've been talking about... Um, what is a Southern Baptist and how we work together to network with other churches to do ministry uh, here in our community, in our state, and our country, and around the world. Um, one of the things we talked about was the Baptist Children's Home. And I got all the information. So w- when, we, when we went through it, I had a lot of questions myself because I hadn't yet spoken with anyone at the Florida Baptist Children's Home. Uh, wonderful organization, strong emphasis on um, foster parenting on not only bringing in children into a foster parenting situation in the homes that we have through Baptist Florida Homes and Children's Florida Homes, goodness, but um, they also do a lot of work, and I was unaware of this, they do a, a lot of work in equipping and training and supporting um, individuals in our churches who open their homes to foster children and caring for them. So really, really neat thing. Um, one of the things that they, they came, they wanted to come, and they wanted to thank us for our offering that we gave on uh, Mother's Day. We take an offering for the Florida Baptist Children's Homes. And last year's theme was um, Sowing Seeds of Hope, I think it was. And so one of the children in foster care at, at one of the homes drew us a, a picture here that says, Thank you for helping me bloom. Um, First Baptist... We were, we were one of the highest per capita giving churches to the Baptist Children's Home in the state. So um, as always, when we ask to give, you are very generous. And I just want you to know your giving is making an impact. It's making a tremendous impact. In fact, the result of this is maybe after Easter, I would like for us to plan a group, anyone who would be interested in going and touring their, their main campus and learning more about the, the children's homes, they said they would love to host us to come and do that. So that's something maybe we can look forward to here in the new future, here in the future. If you have your copy of God's Word open to James 4, you will find our text today. And before we look at our text, let me, let me give you a riddle, okay? Here's, here is a riddle. You need it. You cannot live without it, but you cannot purchase it. In fact, you can't even earn it. It only comes as a gift. And the moment that you receive it, you immediately know how much you needed it all along. In fact, you wonder how you could have even lived so long without it. In a fallen world that's populated by selfish, selfish, lost, fear, fearful Rebellious people, it's the one thing, in fact, that everyone needs. And you can only give it to someone if first you have received it. Because you can't give away that which you don't have. What is it? It's grace. It's grace. Do we understand our need for grace? Do we understand the power of grace in our life? It's a word we talk about a lot. But have we ever really thought about it? Do we, do we think about it much? What it means to live in grace? What it means to have the grace of God before us? You see, 
Grace is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And I explain it like a force because grace is, is God's favor upon us. It's a, it's a way to summarize that God is for me. Power of grace. That's the, that's the point of what our text is going to show us today. And not only the need for grace, but, but more so the availability for grace and how we can live in a way that multiplies God's grace in our life. How, how we can live in a way that, that multiplies God's grace. If you would, take your copy of God's Word and look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6 through verse 10. James chapter 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let, <clears throat> let be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Pray with me. Father, we come now to your word because we want to submit ourselves before you. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to live for you. Lord, I pray now that this morning as we come, that you would remove the distractions of this place, the, the technical difficulties, all of the things that would pull our minds and our hearts away from the task in which we have gathered. That we might approach you and be moved that you might speak to us today through your word that you might show us anew your love and your grace and father we come now not just to hear your word to but to be doers so we ask for the power of your spirit to work in us that this grace that we have may be magnified, that it may experience a full working within us and through us and change us into the likeness of Christ. Father, would you show us this today through your word and by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Amen. We can see from our text that the central theme here is grace. It begins and it says, but he gives more grace. What we've been looking at through James is, is summarized by are you living a life through worldly wisdom or are you living a life through godly wisdom? And the accusation that's been brought up and the examples that have been given is that the people in whom James is writing to and us ourselves as we receive this word often find ourselves living by worldly wisdom. By worldly wisdom. By selfish ambition and envy. Not by what James calls worldly wisdom of humility and peacemaking. We want it our way, and we'll do whatever we can to get it. 
That's opposite from godly wisdom. And so James has written, and, and hopefully you, as I have been, have been convicted as we've listened to these words over these last few weeks, and we've seen this comparison, and we, it, it cuts us to the core of why do I do the things that I do? And it's because I need the work of grace deep in my life. I need continued grace to strengthen me, to allow me to live in God's will for me, to allow me to live for God, to allow me to live according to godly wisdom. Because without God's grace, I'm a wretch. Without God's grace, without His Spirit, without Him in me actively working, I operate from worldly wisdom. I keep going back to it. We keep going back to it. So what's the thing that we need? We need God's grace. We need God's grace. And that's how this text starts off. It, text, it, it starts off by telling us that there is grace. So that's the first thing that I want us to see is the promise of grace. There is a, a promise of grace here. We see it in verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. In light of your sin, in light of your failings, in light of living worldly, in light of arguing with others and tearing them down, in light of disobeying God's commands, he doesn't say that's enough. It promises He gives more grace. I made it big here. He gives more grace. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. He gives more grace. How little does it take for us to go, that's enough. Nope. Can't do it. How how long does it take to get to the end of our rope of extending grace to someone? We all know about grace periods, right? We all most of us have mortgages. The bank will say, okay, one week, all right, one month, I kind of understand, a few more months, it's done. That's it's reached the limit of their grace to be able to deal with you. As a parent, as parents, it's easy for our grace to get shortened, isn't it? Yesterday, yesterday or the day before, uh, Stuff was going on. Krista was outside talking to a neighbor. And I walked out and I got in the car. I had to move the car. She didn't know it. But I said, I'm done. And she's like, nope, you get back in there. But that's how we feel sometimes. Can you imagine how the God of the universe who loves you, who sacrificed his own son for you, who has forborn all of your iniquities, who himself, holy and pure, took your sin and put it on Christ, It was costly for him to put up with you, with me, with our sin. And he doesn't go, that's enough. That's that's too much, Bob. He gives more grace. Does that sink into you? I I could spend all day here. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes in the faith, He spent three sermons with his church on this passage, this phrase. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. So how do we take hold of this grace? This this whole passage is about this idea that he gives more grace. Look at verse 10. It, it, It ends this section that we're looking at here. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What does it mean that he will exalt you? It means his favor will be upon you. He will give you grace. So between these two headings, we have how do we live in this grace? What do we do with this grace? 
First thing is we have a promise of grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. We will quickly say, most of us, that's what we've been taught. And that's not wrong, but it's a little bit short. Grace, as I, I said earlier, is, 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 is a, we can think of it almost as a force. It is God being for you. It is God turning himself for you, being with you instead of against you. So when we are in our sin, when we are proud before the Lord, when we say, I don't care what you did for me, I can do it on my own, we are, God then is against us. Romans 5 says that we are his enemies. There is enmity between God and man. But when we come to him humbly, when we recognize who he is, when we recognize what he's done for us, that, that enemy status is turned to he is for us. Can you imagine that force being upon you? That God is for me? God is for me? Imagine that when you go through trials. Imagine that when you go through difficulties. Imagine that when you fight sin in your own life. That God is for me. Why will I be victorious? It's not because of my abilities. It's not because of my smarts. It's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because God is for me. His grace is set upon me. We need His grace. So there's, there's three types of grace that we talk about. In theology, you'll hear grace talked about in three ways, this measure of grace. Because it's not just all one as we read through the Bible. Grace, in, in the first sense, is what is known as common grace. It's what is known as common grace. Common grace is the fact that for even the evil person that hates God, God allows them to have life right now. He allows the sun to shine on them. He allows blessings such as family. He allows them to breathe. All of these things in God's sovereignty are allowed by Him, correct? Right? God is that big. He is over everything. And so the very fact that God, at the, when, when, when Adam first sinned, that God didn't say, that's it with man, I'm done, shows His common grace. So there's this idea of common grace that everyone experiences. But there's grace is deeper than that. There's more than to grace than just that. We know that while there's common grace for all, there is saving grace for those who are in Christ. There is saving grace for those who are in Christ. The, the work of God, especially in us, as we come to Christ, as we recognize who God is, as He opens our eyes and opens our ears and He changes us from the inside, He regenerates us, right? These are all Bible words, Bible concepts. He makes us new. He does something on the inside. His, his favor, His saving favor is then placed upon us, friends. This is really important for you to realize. Because I hear too many people and too many people from pulpits talking about the specific promises of God for His people as though they're general grace for everybody. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of this. I, I hear this one all the time. It's in, it's in Romans. And, and I just, I know, God says, you'll, you'll hear somebody, they're going through a tough time, and they come to him and they say, you know, God's for you. You're going to get for, through this. Now, is that true? Yes. 
But there's also conditions about who God is for, right? Who is He for? He is for those who are His, who love Him, who are His chosen, who are His children, who are in this special grace. So we can't go to those who deny God, who, those who, who want nothing to do with God, those who reject God with their lives and with their mouths, and say, I know you're having this terrible cancer, but know that God is working all things together for the good. Now the good in that might be that you would, you would be broken, that you would come to Him in repentance. But we gotta remember the last part of that verse, cause that talks about the special grace, the specific, the saving grace of God. God works all things together for the good of those who know Him, of those who are called according to His purposes. So we have to see that there's a condition in that. So this is the idea. So, so we have general grace, we have specific grace, but there's also another type of grace, uh, sanctifying grace, or um, sometimes it's known as sustaining grace, walking in grace. And the idea is that as we are believers, as, as God's special grace is placed upon us, as we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that it doesn't just stop there. God is at work in us through His Spirit. Through also our participation with His Spirit. Some people have this idea about sanctification, that I got saved, Jesus loves me, it's just all going to work out. I'm going to let go and let... i got a sticky note that is on my foot. <laughs> I'm going to let go and I'm going to let God. Have you ever heard that? Well, I understand sometimes when people say that in a positive sense, I've got this problem in my life, I'm stressing out over it, I'm going to let go of it, I'm going to let God work it out. I understand that. But for a lot of people, it's an excuse to be passive. I'm just going to live my life and God's going to work it out. And I guess He's going to make me better and more like Him. Friends, Scripture commands us that if we know Christ, that if we're one of His disciples... The, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you are one of his followers, then one of your aims in life should be, I am in the process of learning to obey all that God has commanded me. I actively want to pursue and be a part of receiving His grace throughout all of my life. I want no hidden corner. I want no closed door. I want no piece of sin that I want to hold on to and say, Jesus, you can't have this. To follow Christ means we submit ourselves to the King. And we say, I want to be like you. I want to do your ways. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to serve you. I want to follow. Sanctification, this, this grace, this idea of grace requires us to be involved in it. This promise, in the midst of all that we do, in all of our failing, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Do you know that in your heart today? Are you struggling with doubt? Know that he gives more grace. Are you struggling with sin in your life? Know that if you turn to Him, He gives more grace. Are you struggling with experiencing God's love? I just don't feel God's love. I just, we all go through lows. Know that turn to Him and you, you, you will, He gives more grace.
He gives more grace. If we humbly pursue him, his grace will continue to deepen in our lives. Isn't that an awesome promise? Isn't that amazing? He gives more grace. Could you imagine if the Bible says he only gives so much grace? He only goes to a certain point. I'd fail. I'd be out before I started. But he gives more grace. What a loving, wonderful God we serve. Amen? That's an amen moment right there. A loving, wonderful God that we serve. There, now, now, how is it that we tap into this grace? How is it that this grace continues to, to work in us? Well, it's the same way that we initially come into the saving grace of God, and that is that we have to approach God in a humble spirit. And that's what our text is about. The fact that if we want God's grace to work in our life, if we want to be a people that, that actively seek the grace of God to permeate and resonate throughout all of our life, the way that we approach God matters. The way we approach His Word matters. The way we approach worship matters. The way we think of ourselves matters. Is God first? Are you humble enough to allow Jesus to be your King? To serve Him in everything? To follow His ways? To turn aside from worldly wisdom and pursue godly wisdom? That's what this text is about when we put it together with its, its context here. Are you able to say... To, to, to put aside vain and selfish ambitions for the sake of pursuing holiness and what God says is wisdom? Are you able to get over yourself and be humble before God? That's the, that's the gist of the text right there. Because if you can't do that, God's grace will not be at work in you. God's grace will not be at work in you. But for those who have a genuine faith, there is a humility, a spiritual humility before God to recognize his authority and seek to put his will in their lives. Is, that's, that's, that's what this is about here. But he gives more grace. So let's, let's think about this. He, he gives more grace. He requires the humility to do that. This is the principle. The second point is a principle that brings grace. And I have to tell you, it's hard to word this because it could be misinterpreted. Grace is unmerited favor, right? So how can we say that we do something that brings this? See the conundrum? But the point of what the Bible says is that if we want to continue to grow in grace, if we want to continue to see God's grace deepen with us, humility is key. And that makes sense. Because if I'm so proud that I don't depend on God, why would I want His grace in my life? Do you see that? If I'm so proud, if I'm, if I'm so bold as to say, well, I can do this on my own, then it's the absolute opposite of turning in worship to the holiness of God and saying, I need you to do this. Do you see that? These two forces are opposed to each other. And so our text shows us here that in our life, if we want to see God's grace at work in our life, in, in growing us and sanctifying us and making us more like Him, then, then there is this overarching principle of humility that our lives should be marked by, which 
Follow up to the middle of chapter 3 all the way down and you'll find that the opposite of humility is what the worldly wisdom is that James is speaking of. Selfishness, pride, arrogance, covetousness, all of these things where it's about me, 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 me. The opposite of that godly wisdom is to say it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. How do you want to work in my life? That's humility. That's a a spirit of humility. So there's a principle here that that continues to bring grace, and it's expressed in two ways. One is submission, and the other is humility. So in verse 7, we see it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, this is a passage that's like to be quoted all the time. It's usually quoted out of context. Uh, But but the, the larger picture here is not just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But there's something active that we do. We submit and we resist. So we don't say, by my power, devil, get out of here. We say, I'm going to resist your influence over me, your, the worldly wisdom that is telling me to be selfish and to pursue my own self-desires that are leading me to sin. And instead, I'm going to submit my life before God and godly wisdom. And in submitting to God we resist the devil. Do you get that? It it, it is our actively submitting to God that then makes it to where we are not doing worldly wisdom in our life, but we are doing godly wisdom. And so by doing that, we are resisting this influence on us. And you know what? It becomes easier to resist. Satan will flee, it says. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine that Satan wouldn't flee the whole time that you're playing with sin? You're making excuses for your sin. Or, or maybe this happens to you. I've been through periods of this in my life where you know everything's not going right. You know you got things going on that, that shouldn't be, attitudes that shouldn't be, relationships that shouldn't be. And so where's the last place you want to go? Church. I, I don't want to be in worship. I don't... I don't. And so you, instead of submitting to God, instead of nurturing this relationship with Him, you start living in worldly wisdom. And there are many, even at this moment, who have found themselves at rock bottom that know the love of Christ, but they are not submitting to God. And so the devil has all kinds of strongholds in their life, right? We know them. We know people like that. We need to encourage them. Submit to God. Live for God's grace in your life. Live in a way that brings His blessings upon your life. Resist Satan. And life's going to get easier. This this struggle is going to get easier. Submit means that we actively try to do this. We are called to submit to God. Um, it, it's interesting here, the same God who says, I will give you my grace, says, submit. God does not... <sighs> There's this idea of free grace. Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. That's out there. That, 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 that basically you just say something and you're saved and all's good and it doesn't matter how you live. And that's not what the Bible says. A really interesting Bible study for you sometime. Look through all the passages in the New Testament that talk about being chosen, being, being elected, being part of God's family, being part of having this grace put upon you, okay? And then notice what's also with it. 
saved for good works. Chosen for good works that you might walk in them. The idea of grace and obedience is absolutely necessary for us to understand. It is absolutely necessary for us to understand. The idea of grace without obedience is a foreign concept in Scripture. I don't know know how to to lay that out any other way. The idea that I can just accept God and love Him and have His grace put upon me and it doesn't affect how I live, I don't care, is not biblical Christianity. It is a formation of something else. Will we struggle? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why he says he gives more grace. But do we care? Are we trying? Are we trying to be disciples? Are we trying to grow in our obedience to all that Christ has commanded? God calls us to submit. Part of our recognizing and being humble before God is that we're willing to submit before him. An individual who's under the authority of a king who refuses to submit to the king commits treason. It's insurrection, right? Could you imagine? You're the king and, and somebody refuses to submit to you? That, that wouldn't be a good follower. We're called to submit. If we submit our lives before God, do you see how it shows humility? We're recognizing who God is. We're recognizing his authority. We're recognizing our need for him within our life. We're recognizing his need, his, his will in our life to work and do his work through us. We are called to submit. We're called to be humble in verse 10. Um, this emphasis of humility. And we've, we've already talked about this, so we won't talk long on it. But, but again, we, why is it? Why is it that we need to be humble? Because if we're not, then we're walking in worldly wisdom. There's there's no neutral ground here, friends. There's no no neutral ground. Either we recognize the authority of God in our lives and we submit to it. Or we recognize our own authority over our lives and we live how we want. Do you understand this? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, a great price. So glorify God. Glorify God with all that you are, with all that you have. The greatest commandment, what is it? Love the Lord my God, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. Second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how this works? That's humility, isn't it? To say, God, you are the greatest thing in my life. I submit myself under and before you. This humility is necessary. You want to you have humility before God? Here's, here's a key. Recognize who he is. Recognize who he is. Are you like Isaiah? If you're approached with a vision and an idea of who God really is, that you would bow before his feet and cry out, Holy, 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 for I am unclean and of a people of unclean lips. You want to grow in grace? Study theology. Theology is not a dirty word in the church. (laughs) In some churches, they think that it is. Theology means the study of God. Learn your Bible. Learn who God is. Not just to become smart, but to make it change your life. That you can look at ideas about uh, propitiation. That Jesus was sacrificed in my place for me. 
Man, we dwell on that. How should that change us to live? If I could give you a vision of God that was that big, you would want to serve Him. You would want to humble yourself for Him. That's why at our church, that's why when, when I preach, my aim in this ministry is not fun and games. It is depth. It is that we would know God That we would see him for who the Bible says that he is. And it's gonna make us cringe. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna step on our toes. But you know what? When we see him for who he is, we're able to humble ourselves before him. We're able to humble ourselves before him. You wanna live a life in obedience to God? Know who he is. It will affect everything in your life. You will be able to understand when trials come, you will be able to align your trials by who God is. God, I'm lonely. I don't know what to do. I'm so lonely. Nobody is caring for me. I feel so empty. How do you combat that? God, you love me. You're always here. How can I be lonely? You desire for me to pray and to worship you. Do you see how it begins to comfort You will always love me. You will always be there. If everyone fails me, I still have you. You see this? His grace continues to work in our life. The more we know him, the more we see how big he is, we humbly come before him. The practice of grace. The, the third, the, James gives us, as he always does, some very practical, hands-on things about how we can experience this grace deeper. And so the, we have the practice of grace here in verses 8 and 9. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, What does it look like to live in grace? What does it look like to have grace continually in your life, growing you and exposing you? There's some ideas here. The first is that we have a life of worship. Notice the first imperative here. Draw near to God. Draw near to Him. This is a a command that tells us to take a deliberate action in worship. Do you daily pursue to draw near to God? Ouch, right? We, we want to experience God's will in your life. You want to experience his grace in your life. Become a worshiper. Not just about music. But do you daily pray? Do you daily, in some way, take in scripture intake? Do you daily try to meditate on that word and apply it to your life? Do you daily try to practice service and love towards others? You know, daily is, is your life marked by worship? Or is worship to you an hour on Sunday when you gotta listen to that guy who I was told this morning has a face for radio? It was a joke, I know it, but it was funny. That's not worship. True worship. If we have a a big view of who God is, if we want to humbly submit ourselves to Him, if we want to be in obedience, then worship should permeate through all of our life. It should permeate through all of our life. So the idea here is worship. Draw near to God. Here's Here's an amazing thing about worship. It's cyclical. Okay? You feel dry in your relationship with the Lord. You feel empty. You feel like, God, where are you? Draw near to God. 
and He will draw near to you. The more time that we spend in a vibrant relationship and love with the Lord, the more fulfilling that becomes. Do you get that? The more fulfilling it becomes. He's not moved. He's not far away from you. You know, there's two old people driving around in a, in a truck, you know, big bench seat the way the old trucks used to be. And the lady turns to the husband and she goes, you remember when I used to sit by you and you'd have your arm around me as we'd go down the road? And he turns back and he looks at her and he says, I haven't moved. <laughs> That's how God is with us. He hasn't moved. He's there. He wants you to draw near. But he can't, you can't experience his grace and love in your life as long as you're living by worldly wisdom and you are not submitting and trying to obediently follow him. Do you get that? If you're, if you're over here loving with the devil, God can't be a part of your worship. James is very blunt in saying that. That's the second thing that he says here is that, that there's this idea of cleansing. We need worship. We also need cleansing. We need to recognize our sin, and, and, and we need to cleanse the sin from ourselves. He, he calls the, the people that he's writing here to sinners, double-minded. The term means doubled-souled. We can see how he could say double-minded because he's been talking about living in godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. These are individuals that say, I want to claim godly wisdom, but I'm actually going to live in worldly wisdom. I want to say praise Jesus the whole time I'm sinning. See how there's a problem there? It's easy to point out the problem. It's harder for us to recognize ourselves when there's such a problem. And we need to cleanse ourselves from it. This, this idea here is, is, is that we would cleanse our hands, that we'd purify our hearts, is what he says. The, the, the first idea, think about this, um, that you would cleanse your hands. This, this, this kind of gets the mindset and the idea of the external behaviors. That you would cleanse yourself from it, that you would be obedient to God, that you would say, I know that I do this and it's wrong. And I'm going to stop. Lord, I need the power. I need your power. I need your grace to resist the devil in this area in my life. And for some of you, you need to take action on those things. The, the, the second idea here is hearts. This is the inward attitude that you would purify your heart before God. You might say, you know what? I got it all together. People could look at me and they wouldn't see big sins. But in your heart, you know it's full of pride. You know it's full of arrogance. You know that it's wrong. Would you be willing to cleanse your heart? Would you be willing to, to say to God, I need to draw near to you here and resist worldly wisdom, resist selfish ambition. The third thing that we see here, the practice of grace wraps it all up, and it's the idea of repentance. Are you willing to be a repentant person? James sounds like a prophet here. He says, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Now, James isn't saying that, you know, you shouldn't ever laugh. You should just be that guy, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is if your life is happy, if your laughter is due to your sin, to living in worldliness, you need to turn from it. You need to cleanse yourself and you need to mourn over your own sin. You need to internally, deep down, take a look and say, I need you here, Jesus. I need help here. He's addressing the seriousness of our sin nature. 
Do you take sin serious? As Christians, we're called to fight sin. We're called to eradicate sin. We're called to call out sin in ourselves and apply the gospel into those areas and to live for Christ. Are you doing that or have you become comfortable in sin? Oh, that we would weep and mourn over our own sins. Oh, that we would have such a picture and a knowledge of God and His greatness and His goodness that our sins would cause wailing. Do we have that? Do you have that? Do you need that? Friends, this text is full of richness. I feel like I've just barely probed it. Let me end with this idea of repentance. The first thing is to experience the saving grace of God to begin with, you need to come in repentance. Have you done that? Has there been a time in your life that you've called out to God and said, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have sinned against you. And I see now that you have provided salvation through Jesus Christ. Save me. I want to live for you. Have you done that? Has there been that time in your life? That's the first idea of repentance. But the Christian life is ongoing repentance, right? It's ongoing recognizing, I believe you, Jesus. I believe what you've done for me. And now I see this ugliness here. Help me. I repent of this. Help me to live for you. That's what James is talking about. Don't become comfortable in your sin because you won't, begin, you won't experience the fullness of God's grace if you do. But be humble. Turn to Him. Recognize who He is. Obey. And the amazing thing is, He gives more grace. And the more grace He gives, the more we humble ourselves and we turn to Him, the nearer He is to us. And the further Satan's influence is. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. We're going to have a moment of response. And as the, we're led in a song of response, if the Lord has spoken to you, would you take a moment in repentance, whatever it is, Cleansing, whatever it is. Humility, whatever it is. Whatever the Lord has said to you, whatever has pricked your heart this morning, would you respond to Him? Be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. Perhaps you would like to come and speak with me. Perhaps you would like to come forward and pray. However we can facilitate that, please do. I, I, I just I want to see you in response. Don't worry about singing. Worry about getting right with the Lord. Pray with me. Father.